0: Shadow Citizen. Shadow Citizen will explore the shadows of an alternate reality. Your hosts Rachel L. McIntosh and Rob Osell.
1: All right, I am so excited about tonight's show. Hello everybody. Welcome to Shadow Citizen. Tonight our guest is somebody that I am fascinated with what he is studying. He's an independent researcher. But before I introduce him because he he's amazing. He even agreed to be on our show with us. Um we've my co-host is Rob Osell. And Rob, are you here with us right now? Yes,
2: hello, yes. Rachel. Oh, oh yes. great. This is our second show on American Freedom Radio, so that's pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> yes,
3: it is. It sure is.
2: Because now you put up a, a, a list of all the affiliate FMs that it's going out over, also. So you know, we don't even know how many people are listening to us now, but it's it's really very cool. And we're you know trying to hold on to our old friends, so you can still listen. We're simulcast over at uh, Mixer. Dot .com slash word radio confluence and we, the, there will be chatters over there. So if you want to ask questions, you can put them in chat and we'll try to get to them. I, I monitor that room. And then also from radioconfluence.com you can take us with you on tune in and Xeno you know, live. Uh, and then we still have our regular uh, website, uh, shadowcitizen.online where we've got cool merchandise. We've got a fan page. <laughs> we've got all the upcoming guests and past archives. So Rachel, that site is really looking good. so. Yeah,
1: it's looking pro at this point, isn't it? We've got all the fan page. People are sending their pictures of themselves, and we have um, fans wearing our T-shirts. Our logo is cool. I don't know if you people on that are looking at this from American Freedom Radio have seen our logo. Our logo is amazing, and it's on T-shirts. It's on coffee cups. It's on basically anything you could put it on, and fans are taking pictures of themselves and sending them, and we've got it posted on our website, and that's pretty cool. Um, yep. The other thing that's really needed our website are the archives, and um, we recently well not recently but one of our first episodes we ever did for Shadow Citizen Online was Sean Stone, the son of film director Oliver is it Oliver Stone right Oliver Stone and yeah, um, he's nice. of course did that movie JFK and JFK is the thing that got me sort of awoken to. The whole, I didn't even realize there was a conspiracy around the JFK shooting. And so this kind of ties us into our previous episodes of Shadow Citizen. But tonight we have with us Rob Clark, who is a JFK assassination researcher. He has a special interest in witness testimony and historical documents. And he's been interested in looking for the truth of what happened on November 22nd, 1963. And he's particularly interested in the movements of Lee Harvey Oswald in the months leading up to the murder in the Dealey Plaza. He's been doing this for 25 years, this guy, Rob Clark. And he is also hosts a podcast called The Lone Gunman, And he's done that for the past three years. And you can hear that podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and TuneIn Radio and the host site Spreacher.com. And Rob Clark, I am going to keep calling you Rob Clark so I don't mess you up with Rob O'Sell. But thank you for being with us today, Rob.
4: Well, thank you for having me, Rachel. It's a pleasure to be on your show.
1: Oh, great. Hey, now I wanted to ask you, when I saw your picture at our website and I saw that you had been doing this for 25 years, first off, were you like five when you decided to start researching this? You look so young. What made you, what, what like grabbed you about this whole Event
4: to make uh, I, research.
1: Uh,
4: yeah, I was actually in high school, Um
5: okay.
4: and I was tasked. You know, our whole class had to do papers on various presidents, um, and I just by luck of the draw got John Kennedy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, back in back in those days, back in the '80s, you know, we didn't have the internet. We had to do you know encyclopedias and actually books and go to the library and. Things of that nature when you actually wanted to write a paper, um, and you know I just started reading about it and uh, came across uh, a Jim Garrison book called "On the Trail of the Assassins and uh, I read that, and it opened my eyes to a whole vast array of possibilities and I've been hooked ever since then, and like most people, um, you know when the movie JFK came out, it kind of reignited my interest back you know in the early nineties. Um, and it's, it's, it's been full, full bore since then.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that movie does grab you for sure. What, what was the part in the movie that you thought was the
4: most gripping? Um, I, I really, I really enjoyed the movie as a whole, uh, for entertainment purposes. You know, when you, when you really, when you really start tearing the movie apart for historical accuracy, uh, you know, it, it kind of wanes a bit in places. Mm-hmm. Of course it takes art it takes artistic liberties and and things of this nature for for Hollywood purposes but um I thought all in all you know the the entire movie uh was essential in in reigniting interest in the assassination and it it also paved the way for the uh for the uh JFK records act um, which we're going to reap the benefits of later this year in in October when the CIA has released the rest of the the uh, JFK files.
1: I can ask a question. Why? You know, cause I'm, I'm kind of young. I'm youngish. Not really though. I I just say that to make me feel better. But why did they seal those records in the first um, place? They just thought that like the people couldn't handle it. Why was, why did they do that?
4: Well, it's just the, most of them are the CIA documents, uh, documents from the FBI that just were never released to the public uh even through FOIA requests they were deemed uh a lot of them deemed uh national security purposes you know they wouldn't release them or, or they're top secret or they're classified or things of this nature and so what they did was they 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 formed a committee to sit down and and go through a lot of these files and and kind of reassess them and they have released a lot of them uh, especially back in the 90s uh the assassination records and review board uh was was formed and and tasked with going through a lot of these files and kind of not really reinvestigating things um that really wasn't their purpose but they did reinterview some witnesses um some of the doctors at Parkland um, you know a lot of it was medical stuff um and they kind of deemed what could could go ahead and be released uh you know some stuff has come out in the 90s and and, and since then but you know the CIA is still holding on to, you know, thousands of files, and they are supposed to release them. I mean, they could have released them anytime, they could, but they have to release them by October 2017, according to the JFK Records Act.
1: I see. So it's mostly because of CIA. They want to just keep something under wraps for as long as possible till the deadline.
4: Yeah um you know even i mean it's it's a it's kind of a conspiracy theory of course that the CIA was behind the assassination i'm sure you've all heard of that um yeah. it was <laughs> you know they broached upon it in the in the movie jfk and and mm-hmm. several authors have written about you know various figures in the CIA being associated with the assassination or maybe even taking part in it or planning it um you know, but the CIA was uh, was up to a lot of no good uh, back in that time in the early '60s, as
1: late '50s, early '60s. <laughs> as
4: opposed to yeah,
1: now? yeah, right, is yeah. <laughs> um, yeah.
4: But but yeah, they were. I mean, they were really doing some shady stuff back then. Things that they didn't want the public to know about. You know, as far as overthrowing governments and mm-hmm. um, things of this nature.
1: With elections and whatnot, sure, sure. Yeah,
4: assassinating other other foreign leaders. Um, sure or attempting to and, and that was part of the problem
2: and but we uh, talk about the, the movie i you know, i just watched it here yesterday and they were saying that you know that those records would not be released until 2037 so apparently it got bumped up further and then part well, of no, th- the, those are the warrant commission files oh okay so that's something we're talking we
4: about. about yeah they, okay. they were classified for 75 years um you know, from from nineteen sixty was sixty three, I guess, or sixty four. That's that's the Warren Commission files.
2: Okay, um, so that's different than the CIA files, and those will be released. Now, and Oliver Stone kind of made a. I, I think he said that they uh, sued to get the Zapruder film released, and so were they the first ones to actually show it to the public, or uh, is no. that?
4: It was first shown, uh, to the public back in 1974, 75, I believe, um, on the Geraldo, Geraldo Rivera show. Um, oh, okay. And actually one of the, one of the early, or, earlier, earlier, earlier researchers, a guy by the name of Robert Groden, um, who still sits up his little stand in Dealey Plaza to this day on the weekends and, and sells his books and things like that. Um, He's a fascinating character as well He's been sued, sued by the city like 80 times uh, Or I'm sorry Arrested by the city like 80 oh times God. Yeah um, But he's not giving up God bless America, good for him Yeah, no, it was uh, Robert Groden, Dick Gregory um, And They had it on the Geraldo Rivera show And it was shown to the public for the first time You know, in, in the early 70s And that is really The genesis Uh Once people saw that for the, you know, for the first time, that was pretty much the genesis for the House Select Committee on Assassinations, the HSCA investigation that, that took place, uh, in the late 70s.
2: Well, it, it also, people that saw the film realized that, you know, Dan Rather was supposed to have seen it earlier and he describes what he sees and what he describes is, you know, quite a bit different from what the film shows, so. Yeah, just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, and I, I've got a few clips from that film, and so I, you know, we're talking about whether the CIA had any involvement. So here's uh, uh, Donald Sutherland as uh, Fletcher Proudy, I believe, uh, in the movie, and this is very short. But why was Kennedy killed? Who benefited? Who has the power to cover it up? Who?
5: Mm-hmm.
1: Is that the clip you want to play there? That's it?
2: Alright. Oh, uh, did it come through? Did the clip yeah. come It, it was oh, pretty okay. short. That was pretty short. It was, but it's, you yeah. know, uh, you know, why was Kennedy killed? Who benefited and who had the power to cover it up? I mean, that's, that's pretty epic uh, questions right there in my mind anyway.
1: So Rob Clark, do you have any ideas about that? Like what was the motive, the motive and who has the ability to cover it up?
4: Well, it's an interesting story. Uh, when, when you, when you look at who was officially tasked to investigate the murder, it was, uh, the FBI and they took over control from the Dallas police relatively quickly. Um, you know, it was pretty much as soon as Lee Harvey Oswald was murdered, that's, you know, they kind of stepped in and, and started doing their investigation. They, they were the investigative body for the Warren Commission that, uh, Lyndon Johnson assembled, uh, you know, not too long after this happened. You know, to make an official inquiry in, into, the, into the into the murder, um, you know for people out there who know what kind of person J. Edgar Hoover was, um you know even to this day, you know the FBI doesn't like to be embarrassed, but even back then, you know that they, they were famous for always getting their man uh and never being wrong about anything and and you know just being the best of the best, especially when Hoover was alive. Um and you know because the CIA is not really supposed to operate inside the borders of the United States they're more of a foreign intelligence kind of apparatus um but of course we know <laughs> we know how that goes uh sometimes but uh
2: I forget where I was going with this where we just, the Pretty CIA cool. yeah yeah, who has the power to cover it up? If, you know, if, who benefited? Right, right. And that, that's like in the, that Douglas book of, uh, The Unspeakable, I think is the name of it, but he kind of comes to the end of it with a conclusion is it, it wasn't who wanted Kennedy dead, it's who didn't. Uh, you know, because he, yeah. he had pissed off so many people, you know, from the mob to, you know, the big, uh, big iron to big oil to, uh You know, people who thought he was a commie and were mad that he didn't send in air support for the Bay of Pigs and uh, uh just a whole line of people. And then, of course, the CIA, he threatened to break up into a thousand pieces and scatter to the wind.
4: Uh, yeah. And who ends up on the Warren Commission, Alan Dulles, a former head of the c i a so um, one that j f k fired yeah. yeah, yeah, which is kind of ironic, you know, and i think I think part of the problem um Rob was that uh the guy Lee harvey Oswald, the suspect in this case um you know he he was he defected to Russia you know in, in the late fifties. Um, he ended up marrying a woman in Russia, having a having a child over there and then coming back to the United States with a Russian wife. And, you know, normally when people come back like that, that are defectors that have been, you know, in our military, because um, pretty much he was he was he got an early release, you know, from from the Marine Corps. And within a couple of days, he was he was headed that way. Um, you know, which is kind of suspect, of course. And, and the CIA was, was what did have some of these false defector programs in place, but so far, uh, we don't have any conclusive proof in the, in the, in the documents that we have now that Lee Harvey Oswald was any part of that. You know, people suspect it. It's a possibility, but we have no proof. Um,
1: can I ask a question? Sure. Why? Why did he? What was his motive for going to Russia? Obviously, he was defecting. He had been in our military. He just got fed up, and he said, "You know, I can't do this, and I'm going to Russia." And that—does anybody know why he decided to go there?
4: Well, apparently, he was fascinated with the whole um, communist ideal of living. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, there's reports of, of people that were in the Marine Corps with him who said he used to listen to. Uh, you know, Russian, Russian albums, read, uh, Russian books, um, things of this nature. And, you know, we have there, we have no reports or no, no documents on how Lee Harvey Oswald learned how to speak Russian. And the idea is that, well, it, the conclusion they came up with was that he must have taught himself, you know, um, which is an amazing feat. <laughs> okay. Um, for I somebody. Yeah, for somebody to teach themselves <laughs> running. Yeah. Um, you know, uh-huh. Now, there's, of course, a the conspiracy theory that, you know, he went to the Monterey School of Languages while in the Marine Corps, and, and he was taught this. Um, but again, we have no proof of that either. Um, so basically where I was going with this is, okay, you know, you have this guy. He, It's kind of sketchy what he's doing. Okay, so he comes back to the United States. Um. Ideally, the CIA would have debriefed this guy because, you know, hey, he was behind the Iron Curtain. You know, this is the height of the communist red scare. OK, the early 60s. Um, they would have definitely grabbed this guy as soon as he got off the airplane or boat or whatever he came back on and stuck him in a room and said, OK, tell us everything you saw. Tell us everything, you know, um, you know, they would have wanted to vet his wife and question her. But apparently none of this happened. Um, at least there's no official record of it happening. Um, he should have been on the FBI's radar, you know, as a guy to watch, um, according to his background and, and what he was up to, um, especially that summer before the assassination there in New, or- in New Orleans. They should have been watching this guy.
1: What was he doing in New Orleans?
4: Well, he was handing out uh, leaflets to to uh, Navy guys getting off the boat down there. Um, fair Play for Cuba Committee. You know, <laughs> sur- supporting Castro,
5: mm-hmm.
4: you know, which kind of, uh, I mean, he identified himself as a Marxist, not a communist, which, you know, there's a slight difference there, but not too much.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: And, you know, back then Castro was not really liked for, you know, how he took the country over. You know, well, he was initially liked, um, for overthrowing Batista, but then things kind of started spiraling out of hand when he started. Uh, buddying up with the Russians and, and, and adopting communism and, and things of this nature. Um, you know, it led a lot of Cubans to leave Cuba and come over here. And we call those people anti-Castro Cubans. And there was a lot of them, uh, you know, down along the southern coast down there. But, um, you know, the FBI should have been watching this guy. They should have been watching his mail. I mean, he mail ordered a gun, supposedly two guns. Um they should have been watching this guy. He should have been on the radar. He was arrested in New Orleans uh, for getting in a fistfight with a, a guy by the name of Carlos Brigny. Um, and he sat in jail. He asked to speak to somebody from the FBI. Actually, they came and talked to him. Um, he supposedly visited Mexico City that fall before the assassination. The CIA right, should yeah, have known well, yes. this.
1: Excuse me. So yeah. the guy who's been off the radar, completely off the radar, he just goes to jail and says, I want to talk to the FBI, and they just come in like it's cool, like no big whoop?
0: Yeah, pretty
4: much. Can
1: I do that if I go to jail? Can I say, <laughs> excuse me, I want to talk to the FBI? Will they just come in? I don't know. Is that
4: how it works? I don't know. There's, you know, there's all kinds of theories out there as to why they would have agreed to come and come to the jail and, and speak to this guy, but they did mm-hmm. for hours, um, and nobody knows what exactly was said. Um you know, which leads you to speculate that, you know, hey, maybe this guy was doing some kind of a COINTELPRO operation. Um, you know, kind of, if he's handing out flyers and, you know, saying, hey, we're going to be having a meeting here. Well, then whoever contacts him or shows up at this place, you know, you might want to put their name on a list, you know, as mm-hmm. people to watch out for. Which is, we know now, um, there's a guy by the name of guy Bannister. Um, who famously opened the movie j f k by beating uh, his friend uh, Jack Martin for getting in his files and questioning him about the assassination um, and he was doing things he was former FBI and he was doing things like running these little cointel programs um, he very anti communist guy, and uh, we know now that he was up to doing that, and Oswald was seen in his offices.
2: Mm. Just as a kind of a curious aside, is are they, is he at all related to you know Joe Bannister, the guy that's out here now with uh, you know that was on the Freedom the Fascism, uh, or do you know who I'm talking about? I do, and I don't. I don't think he is. Okay, uh, um, I'm not even sure.
4: I don't even think he had children. Um, guy Bannister's an interesting guy. He's actually uh, one of the very first. When he was with the FBI, he was one of the very first X Files investigators. He was the guy they sent out. Yeah, he was the guy they sent out when they uh, had unidentified flying objects to investigate. All right. Can I say
1: something? Sure. I just watched a movie, not last night, the night before called unacknowledged and it's about um, disclosure of UFO phenomena. And it was interesting, you know, because of UFO stuff. And the guy is talking about how JFK went to go look at the different UFO things that the um, our government was creating based off of the stuff that they had scooped up from different vessels they had seen. And one time he was with Marilyn Monroe. He brought Marilyn Monroe with him. And she announced that, of course, she was having an affair with JFK and having an affair with his brother. And she announced that she was going to have a press conference about what she saw when she went with JFK to that hangar and it was like the next day or the two days later, she was dead.
4: Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, there's a couple uh connections with, with, with UFOs when it comes to the Kennedy assassination. There's a guy by the name of uh Fred Chrisman, Fred Lee Chrisman. Mm-hmm. And he was actually attached to the Maury, Maury Island sightings uh, in 1947, just prior to Roswell. Um, and he pops into the narrative of the Kennedy assassination uh during the Garrison the Jim Garrison investigation. Uh Garrison thought he was one of the three tramps. Um and you know, he deposed him and and he was part of the part of the Clay Shaw trial, um, interviewed. Um and I was actually found a guy um and had I got, I got a very rare book this guy had self-published back in the early 2000s, um, and he wasn't talked to for the Warren Commission, um, but he was for the HSCA, and he was given immunity for his testimony, and he says some very, very uh, eye-opening uh, things. His name was David Beckham, and he was a, a con man. Um, he knew Fred Lee Christman. He was kind of like his handler. Um, and you know he was he was talking about uh, when when Oswald was handing out flyers down in New Orleans um, he knew Lee Harvey Oswald um, he actually went to get lunch with Lee Harvey Oswald after one of his uh, leafleting stints and I believe he's captured in a photo in front of the uh, trademark down there in New Orleans while Oswald's handing out these flyers um, and you know he. He's got some very interesting things to say, um, and there's a there's a good book. It's called JFK and UFO by by Ken Thomas uh, that goes over a lot of it. If people out there would like to read more about it,
1: yeah, because that movie that I was talking about, and I brought it up because you were talking about this person who was one of the first X Files type investigator types. Um, this movie Unacknowledged. It's actually I don't mean to change the whole interview around, but that movie's interesting because it talks about how black budgets work and how if, if JFK had ended up talking about these things, it would, it kind of expose how they were laundering or not laundering, but just pushing money under the table for this huge black budget that was funding all sorts of, you know, there's 17 different, um, intelligence agencies in the United States and these, Machines that they were giving money to, kind of off the books, were funding these different organizations. And if uh, JFK opened his mouth about it, or Marilyn, for God's sakes, opened her mouth about it, then everybody was afraid that they just they'd lose their money.
4: Oh yeah, for sure. You know, and there's two weeks before he was assassinated. Uh, we have letters from from John Kennedy to the head of CIA um asking for any and all relevant uh UFO f- files mm. so that mm-hmm. they could uh because he didn't want the Russians to mistake a UFO for one of our vehicles and vice versa Oh yeah
1: and, watching and it of, until World War 3 yeah
4: yeah so he was kind of trying to cuz he was he was talking to to Khrushchev behind the scenes um and you know he was they were sharing information they were working out deals because uh you know JFK d- didn't really want to go to war you know he 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 was very much a a, a peace seeking kind of guy
2: um and well he kind of had a transition there though i mean he was more hockey yeah. when he was uh uh you know when he was a <laughs> Okay. Yeah, before he became president. The other thing that, I, and I, I'm kind of this isn't really totally fresh in my mind, but isn't there a story of Eisenhower, you know, wanting to go see one of the bases that supposedly had the UFO in it, and they denied him access, and he said, look, you know, I'll just send in the, you know, the, the whatever army, and we'll just take over the base if you don't let me in there right now. And Eisenhower was pretty close to Kennedy, apparently. They uh they got along pretty well together. So uh I don't know if anybody else remembers that story or not, or if maybe I'm just uh stitching yeah, my own. No, yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, why not? Throw
1: it out there, why not? <laughs> yeah.
4: yeah. And you're right, you know, he was hawkish when he first came into office. He was he was thrown in relatively quickly. You know, to the whole um, Bay of Pigs thing and, and the Cuban Missile Crisis and uh he had to make some he had to make some very prudent decisions very
2: quickly without much experience. Um, well it's but- he came out of uh, the meeting where they're showing them this operation uh, paperclip and he said this is the the best that humanity has to offer or something like that he's just totally disgusted that they were going to actually you know stage a false flag as an excuse to uh to invade cuba they were going to uh, load up a, a air paint a, a, an airplane to look like uh, you know a commercial uh jet and supposedly have it full of students on spring break and uh have it go down and blame it on Cuba for shooting it down as a reason to invade Cuba. And uh so he when they told him this plan, he just said, uh uh, no way. You know, and that's when he decided to break up the CIA and fire his uh joint chiefs of staff, uh you know, general the commander or whatever and uh, anyway. Yeah, cuz
4: those guys were wanting war wherever they could possibly get it in. Um you know, they were talking about going to China, Vietnam, uh they wanted to invade Cuba. <laughs> I mean, you name it, these guys were his joint chiefs were were just chomping at the bit to 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 get into
2: something. Um well, everybody uh, in the Pentagon likes having, you know, active wars going because that's where they get their promotions. If they're involved in them, you know, that's how they move up the ranks. You know, if you're just sitting there and it's peacetime all over the place, well, then you guys are, you know, they're not going to move up and they aren't going to get the lucrative, uh
4: you know, defense contracts,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, like Defense contractors and all that other stuff. So, uh yeah, that's, um, you know, war is big business and, We've talked about this before. They've somehow managed to get uh, uh, military contractors in every congressional district in the United States. You know, there's somebody making something, some part for the war in every congressional right. district in the United States. So it's about the only thing well, we do. It's
1: did. basically the only thing that's holding the U.S. economy together right now, aside from, um, you know, the military. I mean, excuse me, the bio stuff, the medical bio stuff. But back to the JFK stuff.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mentioned the the three tramps before and that was uh you know the the, the deathbed confession of E Howard uh, Hunt to his uh, uh by his son St John Hunt you know that brought that information out and he says that he was yeah he was one of the three tramps and it does kind of look like him. Do you have any is can you back that up or is that uh just Uh,
4: uh my opinion is that it's not him. Um, of course, very famously, Mark Mark Lane, a very prominent and one of the first uh, people to doubt the Warren Commission findings, um, actually was part of a lawsuit back in the '80s uh, for I think it was uh, the Liberty Lobby uh, on Spotlight Magazine. Had, he, e. Howard Hunt was suing him because for defamation because they had said that he was in Dallas on November 22nd, 1963. Um, and he won, but on appeal he lost. Um, and uh, you know, I'm no photo, I'm no photographic expert or anything like that. But um, you know, if you, when you put these things side by side, if you put a picture of e. Howard Hunt and you know a picture of the old tramp, and and people say you know the the tall tramp is Charles Harrelson, Woody Harrelson's father. Um, you know, people have been identified as these tramps. You know a lot of a lot of different people um before (laughs) back in the late 80s early 90s a researcher came across the actual arrest reports for these three tramps and they were actually identified um and they're not anybody famous um they're people you haven't heard of um there was even one guy uh, interviewed. I think it was on hard copy. How, uh, Harold Doyle was his name. And Gus Abrams was another one, uh, and I forget the last guy's name. But uh, you know, they've been identified as, as, as all these different guys. But to my eyes, I don't see a match. And, and you know, you can't just willy-nilly put these guys there without any, uh, you know, corroboration. But in my opinion, is, it's not anybody famous. They're just tramps that happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time.
1: Can I ask a question now? Um, What is the importance of the tramps?
4: Well, a lot of researchers uh, put some credence to these guys because they had been identified in a book uh, by A.J. Weberman uh, back in the – I think it was uh, sometime in the 70s, and and they published these photos for the first time. Uh, and, and Jim Garrison actually showed them on the Johnny Carson show. It, it, it's just uh, back in the late 60s. He's like, you know, he showed a picture of the tramps. and He's like, you see these guys? These guys were arrested in Dealey Plaza because they were. Um, and, but at the time, nobody knew who they were. Um and and their pictures were published, and you know maybe somebody said, oh that looks like E. Howard Hunt, and somebody ran with it, and it ends up in a book, you know, and then it becomes part of the lore, and other people pick up on it and incorporate it in their story, you know, even Oliver Stone had the tramps as part of the story in his in his movie.
1: So they really had nothing to do with anything, in your
2: estimation? In my opinion, no. Okay.
1: Well,
2: the, and, the, and so. The, the reason they're stuff. kind of, in, the reason they're kind of interesting is, is, you know, people speculate that, that there are multiple teams of shooters, you know, stationed in, you know, I've seen, you know, one <laughs> estimate of as many as, you know, six teams of like three shooters, uh, you know, a shooter, a spotter, and then somebody to kind of look you out. You must have been team. talking to Jim Fetzer, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think actually that was, uh, <laughs> The uh, everything from JFK to 9/11 is a rich man's hoax or something like that. But but even uh, I probably got this mixed up. But this is uh, probably Oliver Stone uh, talking about uh, talking about this very subject in a way. And he would
5: have won it, and there would have been vaster changes in this country in '64, '68 than had ever been seen. And uh, instead of the war the deadening gloomy war that johnson brought us and nixon continued and continued like some weird ass Macbeth into the dark nightmare of american soul wherein we just suicide ourselves over and over and over that. Pros, always pros. You wouldn't use a bunch of amateurs to kill a president in an, am, in an ambush, military ambush. Use the best, the best you got. And these guys don't even, you know, they're cells. They don't know what they're doing. They're doing their job. They're following orders. They may be protecting the president. They don't know what they're there for. Only perhaps at the end is, is the switch pulled. Maybe only the last shooter knows it's the president. So a lot of strange uh, ways to do a military operation, but believe me, it can be sealed at really tight, very tight, into cells. Four or five people, three, four people in one cell. Three, four, five cells. You can really do it tight.
2: And so that's kind of yeah, you know, you're not gonna have uh CIA agents, FBI agents show up in Dallas all dressed you know, as they go to work every day and then, you know, be part of the shooter team. You know, they're going to wear somewhat disguises and so that's why you know, E. Howard Hunt in his deathbed confession says that no, he wasn't one of the shooters. He was just there as a, a bench warmer. You know, he was there as the second string team in case the first team didn't make it. But, uh, yeah, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm cool. not, that's done.
1: Go ahead, you're not convinced on what, I'm Sorry.
2: Well, I'm not convinced that there's six teams, you know, but it, uh, I'm not convinced that, uh, Os- Oswald did it either. It does look like the shot came from the front, not from the back. And so it could have been, uh, you know, it could have been just one expert, uh, you know, sniper, you know, from the grassy knoll, but I don't even yes. know if that's the... Uh, grassy
1: knoll, grassy knoll. My, I told Rob before the show, The only thing that I really know about this from my childhood and anything, I wasn't born yet when this happened. Um, My mother has an aunt. She's um, the youngest in that family. I think they have something like 13 kids in that family. She's the youngest. And she lived in Texas, and Kennedy was coming. She wanted to see him. And she went, and honest to God, until this woman died, my mother's aunt died, she said, the shots came from the grassy knoll. She was there. She 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 swears by it. Or she's if she was still alive, she would swear by it. She's dead now, but she always said the shots came from the grassy knoll.
4: Was she wearing of a bushka that day?
1: <laughs> <laughs> she might have been. No, I don't think so. She, my mother said she always because um she always dressed very fancy. She said she's very fashionable. Cause she's gotcha. uh, the youngest. She was the only female in that whole family of 13 boys. So wow. she always dressed very fashionable, but they did come from a family of, um, Czechoslovakian immigrants. So
4: yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there have been so many theories, you know, over the years and, and so many books written and, and so many things put out there. Um, but, you know, things like what me and Chuck do is, is, is try to cut the fat away from, what we can prove, which is a very, very hard task to clean up after 54 years of, you know, stuff that is just noise, Um, you know, when you're actually trying to get to the truth of what happened that day. And, you know, one of the things that always interested me a lot um is a guy by the name of Buell Frazier. He's the guy who gave Oswald a ride to work that day. Okay. He would know. Okay, if Oswald had brought a gun to work that day, this guy would know. He's still alive today. Okay. Um he's maintained over the years that Oswald had a package, but it was only two feet long. Okay. Um which of course you can't fit a three foot gun in a two foot package. It just doesn't work, not even broken down, it doesn't work. Um and what a lot of people don't know is that This guy, Buell Frazier, was actually arrested that day and charged with being an accessory to the murder of the president. Now he he wouldn't sign a confession, um, and but he was 19 years old at the time, probably scared out of his mind. Are you going to admit, you know, to to bringing the assassin of the president and his gun, you know, to to work that day? I'm sure I wouldn't. I would have tried to distance myself as much as possible. You know, and I don't begrudge the man for doing, for, for doing so. But there's been a lot of indications over the years, uh, that, that maybe Buell hasn't been telling the entire truth of things. And, uh, you know, just for instance, um, during his HSCA interview in the late seventies, um, I, I found this little nugget, okay. And uh it says – Frazier says, no, I didn't know that he'd been caught, but I'll tell you this. I knew that he had the rifle. And Moriarty, the interviewer, says, mm-hmm. Frazier said he did. And I said to myself, I said, oh, my God, that was the first thing right there on the steps. I also knew that I didn't want to get pulled in. Now, that's very drastically different than what he told the Warren Commission. Um. And of course, his testimony wasn't included in the final report of the HSCA investigation. This is something that you actually have to go to the archives and listen to on audio tape, which a researcher by the name of Richard Gilbride did, and he transcribed it. And this little nugget came out of it, which means that if you know if Fraser knew that Oswald brought a rifle to work that day that changes the entire ball game because that's been one of the biggest questions uh you know since since that day that people still argue about you know did he have a rifle or not
2: well he worked at a school book depository so i imagine there's you know lots and lots of nooks and crannies where a guy could bring in a rifle you know a, a day a week a month ahead of time and just stash it uh or bring it in in parts on on different days but uh
1: yeah and it's but, texas too i mean come on Texas back then everybody's yeah. i mean even today people walk around with guns
2: yeah and i i find it interesting that you say that they wanted to charge him with accessory to the murder which would make it a conspiracy right there'd be two or more people right um you know because this guy fraser you know it was was
4: you know seen with oswald at a at a uh at a gun range uh that uh, according to Mrs. Slack, this is Commission Exhibit 3077. Uh, Mr. Slack maintained that Oswald was at the rifle rifle range on November seventeenth, nineteen 1963, and that he had been brought there by a man named Frazier from Irving, Texas. So, and and Frazier ended up having a rifle at his house uh, that that they confiscated. Um, you know, and and actually they gave him a lie detector test at the police station that night, the Buell Fraser. And guess what? It's still classified, um uh let's see, it's still classified restricted uh by the Assassination Records uh Collection Act. So, okay, that's, so that's gonna
1: come out in pre- next year or what the Warren report.
4: No, that's gonna come out Hopefully this year. This year, um, okay. But why is it still classified after all these years if if he was telling the truth, you know?
2: Fascinating. Yeah, there's some truths that they just think we can't handle. We're just little children, and we'd have, you know, nervous meltdowns. All well, the snowflakes well, would uh-uh. melt. Well, to
1: tell you the truth, you know?
2: People, uh,
1: I think especially back then, I think they would have.
2: Well, if they knew the full scope of what really happened, you know, maybe something would happen. I don't know. I think you know, like, to see what would
1: happen, Rob, they'd have to know the full scope of what the U.S. government was really doing. And maybe even not the U.S. government. Maybe the, those black budget groups that are way deep, that, that they, they couldn't have that come out.
4: Anyway, well, the CIA was sponsoring a lot of these anti-Castro groups back then, you know, to, to go take the fight to Castro um, kind of clandestinely. You know, and there's a guy by the name of Jefferson Morley. He was a Washington Post reporter. Um, and he's actually been in trying to sue them to release, uh, this guy named George Joannidis, uh, who was a CIA employee, his files, um, because he believes that, um, this guy would have known something about Oswald, uh, maybe even been controlling him if, if, if that's even a thing, but he's been embroiled in a lawsuit. Um, for the past couple of years over these files and, and George Joannidis was a guy that the CIA brought out of retirement during the House Select Committee uh investigation to kind of uh determine what files were given to the House Select Committee. Um he was sort of a buffer um and he knew what <laughs> which ones uh should be uh, sent through and which ones should be held back uh, because he was heavily involved in New Orleans um, in 1963 doing just these kind of things that he wasn't supposed to be doing inside the United States. But um, so very interesting stuff that's, that's, that's still going on to this day.
2: Well, yeah, there I don't know. There's a lot of, uh, it, it just, it gets more and more convoluted, you know, c- because like you say, you have guys like, uh, you know, Fetzer. And the, the thing that really surprised me about Fetzer was, you know, the 50th anniversary, all of the news media of the entire world is, you know, converging on Dallas for the, you know, for this event. And so what does Fetzer do? He holds an alternate event. At the place where Jackie and John honeymooned, uh, and I thought, well, you're, you know, you're splitting up the, the people that are there that can, you know, maybe talk to the press that's coming from around the world. So you know, why would you even do that? So Fetzer does weird things like that though. So I, you know, like I say, there <laughs> yeah. are people in this movement that are trying to get people to not, you know, concentrate on the, you know, the more obvious things and, you know, look at these wild, <laughs> wild stuff. So. Yeah, well the 50th was an interesting anniversary um
4: in Dallas cuz the, the city kind of took over things in in the plaza and made it like a restricted access, you know, the advanced ticket only kind of posh event, you know, for the for the Dallas elites and and things
2: of this nature and of course Alex <laughs> Jones
4: was there with his bullhorn and um,
2: <laughs> Did you see that that he goes to the park and the city had con, uh constructed this giant bullhorn out of uh plywood you know it looked like you know, and it's in the middle of this park where Alex is meeting him kind of go how bizarre is that you know what what the heck's yeah. going on here but yeah uh, and, the, and the the
4: sixth floor museum there in dallas um the you know the old Texas school book depository building uh is now a museum and it' it's been a museum for for you know, 20, 30 years now. Um, but it was always been run, uh, with a more lone nut as Oswald did it kind of leaning, you know, they wouldn't before they, they they would never sell a conspiracy book in that museum. You you just wouldn't hear anything about conspiracy at all. Uh, It was very much towed the company line that Oswald, you know, did this kind of thing. Um, but it seems like nowadays, uh, you know, they might be actually turning things around a little bit and coming, coming around. Um, you know, when, when the curator Gary Mack died, uh, I believe two years ago now, um, and people very much believe that he was, uh, you know, took that, he was, he was a former conspiracy researcher. He was, he was part of the uh, team that found the badge man and, uh, in the uh, Mormon photograph and, uh, Things like this, but he came around, you know, he, after he got the job, and he kind of changed his tune to a more Oswald did it kind of thing, and he kind of ran interference. Um, but Sounds nowadays, good. yeah, yeah. It, it's, it seems a little, this is being run a little bit different, even even with the city settling with Robert Groden and uh, settling all these lawsuits, and uh, so hopefully things are
2: turning around. Well, I you know, in after time, people just kind of go, well, what difference does it make anyway? You know, and uh, I had kind of gotten to that point for a little while until 9-11 happened. And then I just said, oh, damn it. <laughs> you know, I, what, I can't make any excuses now. It's not like I'm in the fourth grade and can't do anything about it. You know, it's yeah. so uh, and it does seem that we are, you know, that no matter who they put in, there's this agenda that we're on and uh you know it it keeps you know we keep moving in the same direction and it's not good it's not you know i i thought i'd be living in the age of the jetsons but all the all that happened you know when jfk got shot you know and then and then martin luther king and then bobby and uh you know it's just like anybody that you know stood up and and there are, there have been, you know, brave, you know, lone souls that, uh, you know, that make a difference. You know, um, the attorney William Pepper, you know, represented the kings and, uh, and, uh, proved that, yeah, that it was, uh, that Martin Luther King, you know, w- was shot by a government conspiracy, you know, basically, uh, and, uh, uh, so these things do come forward but what difference does it make they don't really make it to the mainstream news we the people who are out here as independent researchers you know look at it and we piece things together it's kind of like rachel said in her uh you know what is the shadow citizen (laughs) intro there that uh, we're out here and we're piecing all these events together so you mentioned chuck and I, i think you meant chuck ocelli who uh he's on right after us here and uh so we're happy to be at the same place as him, and I've listened to him for years. He was a guest with uh, Jack Blood numerous times, and oh yeah. Uh, so, and I had followed Jack Blood for a long time, so that's how I first heard about Rachel too. And you know, we're doing this thing, so
1: that's right. <laughs>
5: that's
2: and right. So, yeah, let's see. Uh, I got a clip about. People like us, and this is another one. I think that Stone and I, you know, I should have labeled these better. But here's another one.
0: To my office from all over the country, quarters, dimes, dollar bills from housewives, plumbers, car salesmen, teachers, invalids. These are people who cannot afford to send money, but do. These are the ones who drive the cabs, who nurse in the hospitals, who see their kids go to Vietnam. Why? Because they care. Because they want to know the truth. Because they want the country back. Because it still belongs to us.
2: As long as the people have the guts
0: to fight for what they believe in. Uh, wrong.
2: It reminds me of Donald Trump. Take our country it, back. You
1: know? oh, but that honestly, I think that's the best part of the whole movie is the court scene. You know, when they're going through the whole court thing. And how he acts, how he is able to emote all those emotions. And honest to God, every time I see that, I'm like, oh, I start feeling like I want to cry. But at the same time, I'm like, you know what? This is still going on.
2: Yeah. And I, you know, in that movie, the point for me was the magic bullet thing. I mean. Yeah, you know, I just sat there and went, Oh man, do they really think we're that stupid? And it that just really that scene, the magic bullet scene, and I don't know how accurate that is, how if Garrison actually did that. Uh but uh you know, that was the one thing that I don't think. We believe... can talk
1: about that on the second when we come back from our break, because we 'cause we're gonna have to take a break in a little bit. But um when we come back from that we'll talk about the magic
2: bullet for real. <laughs> okay. Okay, that's, that sounds I like
1: um, but uh now in the meantime, what in your, here's the other thing. When you get back from the break, we're going to ask Rob Clark, our Lone Goodman podcast person, what he thinks really happened. And we're going to wait till the break's over to go over that because this is a big thing. People, I you know, I go back and forth. I think, and oh, well, the government did it, obviously. Then I go, no, they didn't. And then I flip back and forth and, um, It'll be interesting to see what our expert thinks. In, in a little bit, but we have a couple more minutes. Did you have anything else, Rob, that you wanted to talk about this hour before they oh, can
4: get off? just on the on the heels of of the clip you just played um, of, of Costner being Garrison? Um, you know, when Jim Garrison was was doing his thing down there in New Orleans, I mean, he was the first person or the only person to ever bring charges against anybody in in the assassination. And you now I think Jim Garrison was uh I mean people have different opinions about the man but I personally I think you know he was a great American and 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 did everything in his power to try to get to the truth of this thing um
2: Yeah, there are a few like them, you know, most uh, people get into that position and they, you know, basically know, you know, where the, what side the, you know, where the butter comes from for the bagels, you know, they, they just keep the, the local, you know, power structure intact, you know, and, and that's the other reason we call ourselves shadow citizen is, like uh Jack Little always used to say, "All laws are selectively enforced, and so it's the it 's the you know it 's the district attorneys that are deciding what cases they 're going to bring and what they aren 't going to bring, but they tried to keep him from getting reelected and yet the the people down there apparently loved him because they kept reelecting him yeah i mean they they, they even tried their,
4: their damnedest down there to try to disrupt his investigation they were sending uh, guys down there to infiltrate his, his office and, and they were stealing things and, and, um, just all kinds of stuff. They were trying to set him up, uh, you know, for, for, uh, different, you know, charges and, and things of this nature and, uh, you know, he just wasn't having it. And, and it turns out that he end, ended up being right. You know, this guy Clay Shaw was a CIA contract agent. Uh, not meaning that he was a, yeah. Official, you know, CIA employee, but you know they, they did use his information. Right on. We'll talk about this after this break.
6: People support American Freedom Radio, and I hope people vote with their dollars and really understand the value of having American Freedom Radio, because that's my family. If you love me at all, Jack Blood, support American Freedom Radio. Like, my family has literally disowned me. (laughs) American Freedom Radio, Danny and Don and those guys, those are my actual family. So please, please support these guys because they have all the technology. They have all these great things that they're going to do, but obviously they can't do it all by themselves. So not only would I like to see you support them, I'd like to see you retweet them and repost them and really get involved and get on the the bandwagon, so to speak, on doing that do-it-yourself promotion because they're a do-it-yourself radio network,
5: and, uh, and we just need that so much.
3: Did you know there are 3 million edible food plants on earth and none have the nutritional value of the hemp plant? HempUSA.org offers you hemp protein powder. It does not contain chemicals or THC, is non-GMO, and is 100% gluten-free. Hemp protein powder burns fat, builds muscle, contains 53% protein, and feeds the body the nutrients it needs. Call 888-910-4367 and see what our powder, seeds, and oil can do for you. Only at HempUSA.org. Ifusa.org introduces three brand new detox formulations of microplant powder brain fuel for depression bipolar disorders and stress total care anti-cancer agent that cleans the liver and organs and increases memory rejuvenate invigorates and heals the body mind and spirit these products are your alternative to pharmaceuticals call 888-910-4367 and like us on facebook we ship worldwide only at hipusa.org
0: We all
7: know that they're not telling us the truth. So stand up for your rights, demand the real medicine, and your right to use it and grow it. This is Rick Sensen, and you're listening to American Freedom Radio.
3: Yo, what's up? Check this out. The voice of the revolution. American Freedom Radio. American.
7: And when we're not invading some sovereign nation or setting it on fire from the air, which is more fun for our Nintendo pilots, then... Then we're usually declaring war on something here at home. Did you ever notice that about us? We love to declare war on things here in America. Anything we don't like about ourselves, we declare war on it. We don't do anything about it. We just declare war on it. It's the only metaphor, the only metaphor we have in our public discourse for solving problems, declaring war. We have to declare war on everything. We have a war on crime, the war on poverty, the war on litter, the war on cancer, the war on drugs. But did you ever notice we got no war on homelessness? No war on homelessness. You know why? There's no money in that problem. No money to be made off of the homeless. If you could find a solution, if you could find a solution to homelessness where the corporate swine and the politicians could steal a couple of million dollars each, you see the streets of America begin to clear up pretty quick. I'll guarantee you that. I will guarantee you that.
0: You're listening to AmericanFreedomRadio.com, the network who perseveres in delivering intelligent debate, constructive dialogue with true independence. The freedom to broadcast the truth is not free at all. So what is American Freedom Radio worth to you? The empowering information with fun, honest and pure integrity behind it provides an example to follow. Friendships to flourish with the moral altruism that pulls no punches. The hosts sacrifice and show remarkable discipline in their duty to deliver quality radio and service to the community with strength, wisdom and loyalty. The founders of AFR wish to thank you personally for sharing your views and insights to make the best radio and alternative media. Now it's time for you to give something back and play a vital role in the future of America. Be as generous with us as we've been with you. Click on the donate banner at AmericanFreedomRadio.com or volunteer by emailing AmericanFreedomRadio at Ymail.com Vaccines, psychotropic drugs and artillery batteries not included.
5: No rules, no rules, no taboo topics, no taboo topics,
3: no fear of doom, no fear of doom. We are, are American Freedom Radio, American Freedom Radio.
0: Hello and welcome, independent researchers, skeptics, and all of humankind. Shadow Citizen. Your hosts, Rachel L. McIntosh and Rob Ostel.
1: All right. Thanks for hanging over that break, everyone. We're back for our second hour of Shadow Citizen. We're here on American Freedom Radio, and you can also hear us at www.shadowcitizen.online. And we're being broadcast all over the world right now, and people are very, very interested in the JFK conspiracy. Today we have Rob Clark from Lone Gunman podcast. He's like an expert independent researcher on this, and um, we are... We've been kind of riffing about what we know about this. Rob, and Rob, my co-host Rob and I are very sketchy on this whole thing. And our guest, Rob Clark, he seems to know everything about this. And I told, told you guys before the break we were going to talk about the CIA contractors Rob was starting to talk about. So, Rob Clark, take it from there. You had started talking about the CIA contractors and this whole uh, JFK assassination
4: Um, well, I think we were talking about the, 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 the garrison thing, um, you know, that, you know, they had guys, not official CIA, so to speak, but they were sending people down there to disrupt him. And I think, um, you know, he ended up being right about Clay Shaw. Um, of course this is after Clay Shaw died. Um, a lot of his, uh, witnesses were dying, (laughs) um, David Ferry being one of them, um, and, and that's all in the jfk movie of course um but you know it, it, jim garrison lived his whole life you know um believing in a conspiracy and and uh you know he, he actually got to see the movie after it was made uh and he died shortly thereafter um what do you think of the movie do you know i well you know i think uh I think it was very well done. I I love Oliver Stone as a director, of course, you know, in uh great movies like The Doors and uh Born on the Fourth of July and uh things like that, you know, just great movies.
2: Um he, he was kind of explaining how uh the, the, that uh JFK is his uh godfather one and Nixon is his godfather two. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, for that sure. Sucks and uh yeah i you know uh, about garrison i mean i i yeah what an amount of courage you know because he lost his wife uh you know the first wife just couldn't put up with uh, with all the stuff and that and uh in this uh this director's cut version that didn't go out to the theatrical release they had a a, you know a section in there where he was uh, garrison was also on the johnny carson show on the tonight show and uh and and he was they were, they put him up there, you know, to make him look like a buffoon and yet he was smart enough to turn the whole thing around. And, uh, you know, and I, I wish I would have clipped that one out because, uh, it was actually a real good scene and, uh. Yeah. I mean, Johnny Carson was being a, a real a-hole to him and <laughs> he managed to turn it around. Yeah. Yeah. He did. It was, uh, it was an amazing. The guy was truly, you know, uh Oliver Stone says he made some uh mistakes. You know, he should have um you know, arrested uh, was it Perry, the guy that Joe Pesci played? Uh and then David jo- Perry, yeah. And then uh and then Guy Bancher, he should have arrested those people right away and got him in protected custody under arrest and uh uh, because uh you know th- that would have he would have had a good case with those two it, it, the, with the evidence that he had, so well he actually
4: had ferry in protective custody uh a few days before he died, Ferry came to him um and his investigators uh put him up in a hotel his one of his investigators was was staying there with him um and they couldn't keep him there. He decided, you know, he couldn't be holed up like this anymore. And, and it had been a couple of days and he wanted to get out of there. And sure enough, a couple of days after he left protective custody, he ends up dead.
1: How do you say bullet?
4: Uh, no, supposedly
2: they, they, natural causes. They, they said natural causes, but the guy was hypertensive and he had
5: a much a certain, medication.
2: Yeah, yeah. This medication that if he had take the, taken too much of it, he could have, uh, um uh, he could have, you know, died and it would, it would still look like natural causes, so. But yeah, he was laying in bed.
4: Um, there's, there's photos out there, of, you know, kind of creepy photos, actually, but, uh, there is photos of him out there. And, and Guy Bannister, the guy we were talking about, um, he actually ended up dead. Um, how did he die? Uh, supposedly a heart attack. Uh
1: huh, uh huh
4: a couple months into nineteen sixty four. So he didn't last too much longer uh than you know, this all took place. Um, just as just when the Warren Commission was getting to rolling and um, they didn't even get a chance to interview him. Uh you know, he was dead before then. So mm-hmm. and all of his files ended up or most of his files ended up disappearing consequently. Um, very interesting, you know, and and I believe it was his wife, um, you know, there, 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 there's some consternation about exactly how he died, whether it was a heart attack or whether he was shot. Well, uh,
1: how how did they get that confused?
4: Well, there wasn't big fanfare. There, were, there wasn't any big write-ups about it back then. We don't have all types of reports, things like that. Um, so, and, and his mistress that actually worked at his office, a lady by the name of Delphine Roberts. Um, he was kind of seeing her on the side. Um, and, and she, 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 she had come forward and said that, you know, that Oswald had been in the office and that he was working for Guy Bannister and and things like this. But, uh, it's just, yeah, I mean, this, this whole story gets, it's crazy at every turn. I mean, you can go
1: down all these rabbit holes. Right. Speaking of mistresses, didn't Oswald have a mistress?
4: (laughs) Well, that's up for debate. Okay. Um, there is a lady out there who claims to have been his mistress, um, but Judith Barry Baker, Judith Barry Baker, yes, but there is zero <laughs> evidence of anything she's being able to back up anything she says, which is a problem.
2: Yeah. Well, well, how about the you know the tie-in to the Doctor Mary's monkeys? I mean, the the two stories seem to fit together rather well, but I don't, I, you know, I'm not the, the kind of researcher that you are, and uh I've just heard them interviewed, and like I say, it does. Uh,
1: Rob, Rob is Rob Ocell, Is that Mary's monkeys thing? Is that the cancer research lady?
2: Yes, and, and then this Judith Barry Baker apparently got a scholarship to Tulane because she had, you know, given mice cancer when she was a high school science project or something like that. Okay,
1: so everybody was involved with cancer that was involved with Oswald?
2: Well, the, the backstory is, is they wanted to figure out some way to assassinate Fidel Castro by giving him cancer. And, uh, you know, in, you know, whether that's true or not uh, you know there's there was a lot of weird things going on oh,
1: and of course jack ruby died of cancer
2: Yeah, right and there are a lot of people that are kind of picking up fast acting cancer when they uh when they might be you know trouble to the establishment uh you know uh, so apparently the, you know maybe there is something out there maybe they have managed to weaponize cancer i don't know it's uh,
1: I like how the Cancer Research Institute down in Cuba it's called Roswell.
2: Is <laughs> it really? Yes. Yeah. <That's> yep. <laughs> uh, and uh yeah, now they're moving all of our most uh <clears throat> Heavy, you know, bio labs, are the most, you know, deepest, worst bio labs. You know, uh, what was the name of the island where they used to do all that stuff? And now they're moving those facilities in, in inland. So that makes a lot oh, of Oh, right
1: over here off, off of uh, where? Right off of Connecticut in New York, right?
2: Plum Island or is that Yeah, it, Plum.
1: And that's where Donald Trump was going to do a, a, a new
2: neighborhood. Of course, neighborhood. you know
1: there. <laughs> no, he was going to start a new neighborhood. It was going to be a, a development but it was, there was a, you know, obviously a huge nightmare in terms of cleanup because it was an environmental
2: mess. Oh yeah, That's uh, Well, we're kind of getting off the topic, and so. But yeah. But nonetheless,
1: it, back to cancer and the cancer ladies, the mistresses, and so Oswald, he was with other women or no? Uh,
4: we have no proof.
1: Okay, so Nobody. he had a wife and a kid. Was the kid a boy or a girl?
4: He actually had two kids, uh, okay. both girls. Yeah.
1: Girls? And has anybody followed up on them?
4: Yeah, actually, um, I did a show about them a couple of years ago. Um, June, who is the oldest daughter, was born in Russia, and she was about three years old at the time of the assassination. And his daughter, Rachel, had had been born a month before the assassination, which... You know, kind of puts in a doubt in people's minds is okay. You know, this guy's married, he has kids, he just had a baby, and now he's going to go shoot the president. It just doesn't compute. You unless,
1: know, he, unless he was going to get a ton of money.
4: Yeah, so you, 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 you
1: got to weigh perfect. the odds of getting just, away with it. I got to make money. I got kids to take care of, so maybe he got off with a ton of money.
2: I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm with Rob on this one. <laughs> Yeah,
4: you can't perch yourself in a six, in a six floor building and think you're going to get away with it. And, uh, you know, in front of hundreds and hundreds of people in the secret service, um, you know, that's going to be, was uh, he
1: really there? Was he really there?
4: Well, that's, that's another question. Um, you know, here recently, uh, some research has come about and it's called the prayer man. I don't know if you guys have heard of this yet. No, no, neither. No. Okay, well if if you if you Google Prayer Man and uh Lee Oswald or Prayer Man in the Texas School Book Depository, you'll see people have analyzed uh, some of the films and photos from that day and there is a figure in the doorway of the school book depository that's kinda blurry um, but nonetheless is unaccounted for. Um, as far as as people who we know were in that doorway um, at the time of the shots, and this was right after the shots that rang out, um, and it sure looks a lot like Lee Harvey Oswald. Um, of course, you don't have a clear picture of his face. You know, you have just kind of a you. Don't, you almost have to see it. It almost looks like an ethereal being, but it's in, in, kind of in the shadows of the doorway, and this person is unaccounted for and people think that, you know, since he was up that high on the steps that he had to come out from the inside of the building Yet, Like nobody just walking by would perch themselves back in that doorway um, like that because they would have had to go through about 15 or 20 other people that are standing on the stairs. Most of which, if not all were employees of that building. Um, and of course, if it comes to, if, they can, if these researchers can prove that this is Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, then he couldn't have been on the sixth floor shooting, which would be a huge win, uh, you know, for the research community. But
5: mm-hmm.
4: as it is now, it's just too blurry to make a definitive uh, call don't on
2: the, it. Uh, Don't the shirts also match? And he had kind of a unique shirt on that day and that, you know, that also the fabric and the cut of the shirt also seemed to match. But... Uh, I, saw well,
4: I think, Rob, you're getting confused. Um, there there, there was a, a different Oswald in the doorway kind of thing. If you look at the Alchin 6 photograph, um, it's a very famous photograph of the assassination taken from um, the other side of the grassy knoll across the street, kind of looking back at the school book depository.
2: Can you see the limos in the photo?
4: Yeah, you see the limos in the photo and you can see the doorway in the background and there's a figure standing there that a lot of the early researchers thought might have been Lee Oswald standing there. Uh, it turns out it was another worker named Billy Lovelady actually. But that some of Jim Fezzer's buddies, a guy by the name of Ralph K. and Richard Hook and even Jim Fezzer buys into this that, uh, that that's really Lee Harvey Oswald and there was some photoshopping going on in this photo and all this other nonsense, but that they can't prove. But so there's kind of two different Oswald and doorway kind of phenomenons here. But Prayer Man is the one that, that I think has a little bit, little bit more of a leg to it. Um, I've had a researcher where from Where can Britain.
1: we see that? You, ha- you, had, you told us where to see that. Where can we see it, that picture?
4: I mean, if you just Google Prayer Man. Okay. And uh, JFK or, or Prayer Man and Oswald. Awesome. Uh, yeah, the Google images should pop up.
1: Okay thanks. Yeah.
5: Okay.
2: Uh, another thing that kind of you know I started the show with that uh, uh, you know why was Kennedy killed, who benefited, and who could cover it up? and so another thing that kind of uh, that Stone brought out is just that you know all the the protocols that the people that were supposed to be guarding the president didn't follow that day. so here's another clip.
5: That's one valid uh, attempt to, to secure the president's life. Especially with a very sloppy thing that happened in Miami where he was almost uh, hit on before, you know, he'd been traveling through these areas and he was a target for a while. I think there was no question he was a target at least through November, maybe into October.
2: I thought I had a different one there too that you know talked about you know all the windows that were left open how uh the people you know that should have been riding on the back bumper of the limousine you know weren't uh there was no bubble over the uh over the limo you know uh, you know no no bulletproof gu- uh, bubble top on, you know, did, over- did
1: they do that back then? You have bulletproof bubble things.
2: Yeah, uh, I, I think so. Yeah.
4: They had they
1: have, like the mobiles for the president. <laughs> I
4: they did. Yeah, it was a clear, a clear, um, I don't know if it was bulletproof necessarily, but it was, it probably would have provided some obstruction. Um,
2: and not to mention, the bumpers are actually, you know, set up, you know, so that you can, you know, two people can stand on it or maybe, well, at least two, maybe three. And then they even have handles on the top of the trunk where you could, yeah. uh, you know, uh so you're standing on the bumper holding onto this handle, which would have, you know, obstructed a, uh, a clear shot from the back like, you know, Oswald was supposed to have made. so and there's the the video of the you know going around the corner and those guards being waved off uh there are so many you know so many weird things on on there you know and uh i think another very interesting and very tragic character in this whole thing was uh jackie's personal bodyguard that is is that clint hill yeah clint hill Yep and uh, the only one to, to actually move and
4: and he, he's the one that made it to the limousine and kind of pushed jackie back down into it
2: and apparently he looked uh he said he looked at the president and saw the back of his head blown out and he looked over and gave the thumbs down to the you know to the other people uh but yeah jackie had crawled out on the back of the limo it sounds really gory but you know she went you know, they thought she was trying to escape, but she turned around and grabbed a chunk of his brain and his uh, uh
1: that always blows my mind. That that woman had that sort of wherewithal to do that.
2: And th- then in the emergency room, uh she actually uh handed that piece of brain to the surgeon and said, Will this help? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're just in
1: shock,
2: you know. Yeah. Uh You know, her life just completely changed. And another, you know, another interesting kind of take on the big state approach, you know, that it it could only be carried out by a big state is, uh, you know, Jackie would have had the same presidential protection the rest of her life if she wanted it. But but she turned it down she said you couldn't protect my husband why do you, why would i think that you could protect me and mm-hmm. then she married this aristotle Onassis. That's right who was rich enough to protect her you know. That's right Well yes. i
1: live in Rhode Island right right by Newport where they got married and you know all that so she's like a princess here she really is i mean for the rest of the country i'm sure too but for Rhode Island and Newport especially she's and in, in the whole the whole Kennedy thing is a huge deal here in Rhode Island.
2: I'm going to throw out one more here that you, I, I haven't ever heard anybody else bring up. I think I asked, uh, Jim Mars about it once I called in and I said, because, uh, Clint Hill told the story of, uh, being at the open casket with Jackie and, uh, Jackie looks at, you know, looks in, you know, at John and, uh, and says, Clint, would you go get me a scissors? And so she uh, she actually nipped off a, a chunk of his hair. And I'm wondering, you know, as much as this woman was fashion sense and everything, they said that they had done some sort of beat. When the body, between the time it left Dallas and before it got back to DC for the autopsy, they had re- done reconstructed surgery to the back of the head to make it, you know, to repair that large gaping wound. Uh, and did she see that this was not her husband's hair and, you know, actually clip off of, uh, a chunk of the, the false hair? You know, and this is total speculation on my part, but I'll throw it out there. Uh, yeah, I don't think we've seen
4: a lot of the autopsy the genuine for real autopsy photos from uh his autopsy. Um you know, I think Robert Groden, who was one of the uh photographic analysis for the HSCA, said that there was somewhere in the neighborhood of a hundred and and some autopsy photographs of which we may have seen ten to fifteen of. Um ever and you know there was allegedly you know moving picture movie of taking of the autopsy nobody's ever seen um i know which allegations you're talking about um i think that david Lifton it alleged that in best evidence back in the back in the 80s um of alteration you know on the plane in between here and there um parkland and bethesda <clears throat> uh, here recently um
2: well, there, and there's a story, and I can't remember if this is from the, you know, the men who shot Kennedy or where it was, but of this guy who was just a very gifted mortician, uh, yeah. that was called into service to, you know, apparently do some reconstruction on Kennedy before he, you know, and then he had, <laughs> After he was done with what he had to do, then he just gets in the car and starts driving to Mexico, and then finally turned around when he heard it was all clear or something. But uh, yeah, I'm not as you know, I don't remember my facts as well as a lot of people, you know, like you and Chuck Rotelli. But I don't, I cover a lot of different things. So yeah, so wait, the just, medical wait, evidence that. is is a whole uh, is a whole different rabbit hole.
4: I'm, you know, it's a lot of it is above my pay grade.
2: Yeah uh what What do you think of the the stuff about uh the the mortician uh with with lee harvey oswald you know actually putting his handprints on the uh uh the man liquor carcana you know what, what uh, oswald's dead and they've had to put the you know fingerprints on the rifle for him. is do you see any was that true, or have you heard of that? Or is that uh- I've heard of it.
4: I don't think it was true because initially the Dallas Police
2: didn't find any fingerprints on the rifle.
4: It was only after it was sent to the FBI, where the rifle was dismantled, did they find uh, a partial palm print, I believe, on the dismantled barrel, um, which could have been put there any time really. If you know, I had the gun apart and was cleaning it. Doesn't mean he shot it that day. Um, they did give him a night. What was it nitrate tests uh, the day to see if he had fired a gun and they came back negative uh, on his cheek and his hands? Um, yeah, the whole motician story, you know, it, it's hard to say. You get so many stories related to the, to the assassination from so many people who want to attach themselves to it in some form or fashion, but none of it can be corroborated, uh, really. So I, I don't put much stock in stories that can't be corroborated.
1: Right, Rob Clark, here's my question to you. When you look through stuff, how do you know what you're looking at is good information?
4: Um I, I try to, well, I try to corroborate it as much as possible. When it comes to witness testimony, you want to contrast and compare it to, like say for instance, if, if you have a, 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 a Texas school book depository worker, um, who, who gave an affidavit? A David, affidavit that day, you know, shortly after the assassination. Um, you want to compare and contrast that affidavit with maybe what they told the Warren Commission, and versus what they told the Garrison investigation, versus what they told the HSCA, and you know, kind of compare and contrast all their testimony, and even then you need to con- compare and contrast that to their coworkers. Uh what what did they say? What did they see um that day? How how did they perceive how things happened that day? How did they perceive Lee Harvey Oswald? How did these guys interact together? Um and it's kinda like a gigantic puzzle with all these puzzle pieces that you kinda need to fit together and and, and see what makes the most sense. Um nothing's ever gonna be exact. I mean, we're so far out now and so many people are dead so much noise and useless information has been put out there. it's it's going to be really really hard to actually get to the truth of what happened and and the best thing we can do is speculate based on the best available evidence you know we, we can we can take declassified cia documents we can take fbi documents um and compare and contrast them to what we can prove um because Basically I, my litmus test is can we take this to court and use it in court um you know hearsay not so much um like my you know, my
1: great aunt would be not called into court right
4: right i mean she would be a good eyewitness if she was standing there and saw what happened happen um yeah i mean but for you, for your aunt to say 20 years later um, you know, that, that, that she was approached by the FBI and they took her film and she actually took pictures that day and, but none of this stuff can be corroborated. It's just a story. Right. Um, you know, that, that part of it, maybe not so much, but if we have a record of the police interviewing your aunt in Daily Plaza, you know, right after it happened, or they drug her on the news, like they did some people, um, and, and filmed an interview, then, that's that's something tangible that we can that we can use, you know.
1: So speaking of this um, grassy knoll, can you give us an overview, or me specifically, an overview of why that's important?
4: Yeah, I mean well, it's important it, because
1: how it even fits in.
4: Yeah, well, it, it it all goes back to there's a Bruder film and and the actions that you know in the movie he makes a big deal about. Saying that Kennedy goes back into the left, back into the left. Okay. Um, now when you're shooting a rifle, a high powered rifle, um, you know, the bullet, when it hits the body, is going to transfer its motion of energy, you know, into that body as it passes through or impacts, and it's going to make the body move in a certain direction. Um, you know, people tried to explain this away by using the jet effect. Um, things of this nature, but anybody that's ever shot a rifle, shot an animal, shot a deer, you know, you kind of
2: see how things work. Um, we, we had, uh, Tony Zambodia and he, uh, he's did the math on the, the jet effect and, uh, disproved it and figured out that they, they had, they tried several different pieces of, uh, you know, Things, you know, I think he, they could only make it work if they used a watermelon. and He's talking about the, the <laughs> uh, Tony really got into it. I mean, it was pretty wild. And he wrote the uh, he wrote a paper, uh, peer reviewed paper, refuting the History Channel's jet effect. So I thought that was pretty good. So he was. Tell, he was, tell uh, people yeah.
1: who he is. Tell people who uh, Tony is.
2: Uh, he was a guest earlier, I forget what episode he was on, but he's with, uh, uh, architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. And so he also, uh, wrote, uh, you know, a paper, a, a peer-reviewed paper on, on why the buildings could not have collapsed the, the way they, they did because there just was not enough energy, you know, available in the building to uh you know to melt the steel and uh you know that would have caused the collapse that they that the official story tells, you know. Yeah, Tony upset. Tony's just
1: like a man that's like all full of mathematical <laughs> statistics about stuff.
2: And he it does, was a very interesting match, interview. Yeah, it it was a great interview. Yeah. Uh
1: but, but wait, so back to, back to the left thing, and I want to hear what he was saying. So, Tony disproved what, go ahead, I want to hear what Rob Clark, Rob Clark is talking about.
2: Well, it's jet effect is what, uh, they, you know, they explain that the head was blown back because he was shot from the back, but, um because of the way the, uh, whatever it is, the, the, <laughs> Uh The velocity of the bullet traveling through the brain and the brain is a different uh consistency of matter and it causes a cavitation wave. And so that's yeah, that what, would cause it to come back out the same hole that it went in. Right. And so that's why they had. <laughs> I don't get, believe that. <laughs> no, no, I don't either. And, you know, the.
1: What? what Tony's in, what is so what's Tony doing? He's he really thinks that's true. No, he no, just proved he it. Just,
2: just oh,
5: proved he, oh, thank it. God.
2: Okay, good. He, like, oh, right, he any Use the guy's own numbers and found out that he could only do it with a specific melon and I think it even had to be a certain ripeness or something. It was it was pretty interesting. Uh, but anyway, you know, this is something that I've kind of had to uh play with over the years because I I heard uh, uh, I, you know, it was like a, a, an expert witness at a county commissioner meeting. It was something totally unrelevant, but, but he, you know, he said, plausible deniability and so this is something that you know any defense attorney you know tries to come up with you know yeah. plausible you know that well you can all- allege that but until you can back it up with cold hard facts you know it's just not going to fly there you know that and i think we have to kind of get away from that because you know i i don't want to you know lynch everybody that's anything is accused of i think they deserve a fair trial but i think on you know once again it's kind of back to this uh you know it's to follow the money or why was kennedy killed who benefited and who had the power to to cover it up you know it's uh, that's why i think that's such an important uh thing uh
1: it is important rob rob but i wanted to hear rob clark talk about this back into the left thing.
4: thing okay so the back into the left thing it it if you watch the Zapruder film, it's, it makes an impression on you that, you know, that, that this guy was shot from the front. Now, when you, when you look at an overview of Dealey Plaza and, and Elm Street as it goes past the School Book Depository, it kind of curves to the left and then back back around to the right a little bit. There's a little bit of a curve in Elm Street there, um, and there is a little grassy knoll area up on the side that had a wooden fence um, coming from the corner of the overpass where the train tracks went over top of the triple triple freeway there. The wooden fence came almost all the way down to the pergola area and then went back towards the parking lot back behind the wooden fenced area. was a parking lot. Um, this is where the train yard was. Um, and just an empty parking lot that I I believe the, the Dallas County sheriffs had leased, you know, to use to park, um, but it's alleged that, you know, th- there's been a couple different people who say that they've seen, they saw movement behind the fence, uh, at the time of the assassination. Uh, you know, a couple different people say that a lot of the witnesses in Dealey Plaza say that they felt that the shots came from behind them, you know, towards the, towards the grassy knoll area, you know, just like your, your aunt, I think had that impression.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: Um, Dealey Plaza is a very tricky place. Um, The way that it's acoustically set up is is very almost unique. You know, if Oswald had been shooting from the sixth floor of the school book depository, there's buildings, there's a line of buildings directly behind him that the sound would have bounced off of and then back out into the plaza. Um, It's 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 kind of very hard to determine actually, you know, where these shots were coming from. People standing directly underneath of the window, um, you know, on the street, Elm Street had no idea where these shots were coming from um nobody actually saw oswald in that window taking a shot um, i think there was one guy who said he saw something up there a movement maybe a gun barrel but couldn't actually describe accurately who was who he saw um and the floor right below that there was um, three black guys that were kind of hanging out the window watching you know the motorcade Mm-hmm. Um th- of course, they got the distinct impression that shots were being fired from above them um you know, but then you get into the whole time thing, you know, did Oswald have time to run across all the way across the building, stash the rifle, get down uh to the second floor where he was supposedly encountered by the cop rushing into the building and then get out of there and have time to get home and and, and all this other stuff i mean it's it it really does. You, if you look into this stuff, it's going to take some serious time to, like, really, really take everything in.
2: Uh, another thing was just, uh, you know, everybody saying how all of the cops who would be, you know, who who would know about the acoustics of the shot, they all ran up the hill toward the grassy knoll. And then there's the deaf and dumb guy who uh, he couldn't hear anything, and mm-hmm. he was sitting on one of the overpasses. Uh, and yet he looked over and he saw, he saw, he said what he thought at first was, uh, someone exhaling cigarette or cigar smoke, but then he, he saw the gun and the, the guy hand the rifle to somebody in a, in a railroad, uh, workers, uh, you know, uniform or outfit or whatever. And then that guy put the gun into a big toolbox and then put it, you know, and headed toward, I don't know, one of the trains or something. But yeah, it was uh he saw the it was at least two people, if not three. And uh Wait, wait
1: they, the guy's deaf and dumb?
2: He's yeah he, he can't speak. He's speaking in sign language and he's telling the whole story. So he can't hear the shots.
4: But
1: and where did he think they were coming from? From
2: his the perspective? Knoll.
1: Yeah. I'm telling you, the grassy knoll <laughs>
4: when well, there was another guy named Lee Bowers who was actually in the control tower uh, back in that parking lot uh, behind the fence, and he worked for the for the train company. And he had a, you know, he was probably maybe two stories up in this little train tower, and so he had a good view of what was going on in front of him, which would have been, in, you know, a parking lot and then the backside of the grassy knoll. And, uh, you know, he stated to Mark Lane, um, you know, that, that he saw some activity back there. He couldn't really, you know, determine what was going on, but, um, you know, he he's seen people back there walking around. Um, and it kind of matched Ed, Ed Hoffman. That's the guy's name, the, the, the mute guy who couldn't really get across his point to the Dallas police, you know, back at the time, um, cause he, he couldn't speak and he, he couldn't hear, um, so he had a really tough time getting his point across of what he was trying to say that he saw, and you know this whole thing from 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 the get go was kind of botched by the Dallas police and 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 their, their investigation. I mean, how do you let the killer of the president be murdered in your basement? Of the you know, it's just they botched it from the work national
1: go. TV, no less, right?
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they they botched everything. That's why you know the FBI stepped in relatively quickly and kind of took things over but by the time the FBI stepped in you know it was you know it was pretty much a done deal from the way they investigated or started investigating you know the murder from you know what Oswald was doing his live where he was living his possessions uh you know the the rifle the depository and all this stuff and the chain of custody from the shells to the to the gun it was just botched from top to bottom
2: well, the other thing, when they picked up, uh, Oswald at the theater, you know, he, they, somebody comes in and points him out, and then the, the police all run in, and, uh, you know, the, the first thing he just starts yelling out, I'm not resisting arrest, I'm not resisting arrest, you know, cause he, and then on the way to the police station, he said, I'm a patsy, I think he said it twice, but, uh, the interesting point that I think my, my former governor made here in Minnesota, uh, Ventura, said, you know, the president has just been shot, it's an hour later and the police dispatcher gets a, uh, gets a message that some guy has just walked into the side door of the theater without purchasing a ticket. That's all that the dis- dispatcher knew. And yet they sent out, uh, you know, 12 cars with 20, to- 24 policemen and a news crew to, you know, film the, you know, film them taking Oswald out of the theater. So I don't know if that's Ventura sensationalizing like he does a lot of stuff. But. Yeah, just a little bit, <laughs> you know, I mean, there had
4: just been a cop killed, uh, not too long before that. And, you know, they were chasing this guy, um, you know, and, on his way to the theater, I, I guess, you know, he kind of took a little pit stop in, in the alcove of a shoe store, you know, kind of acting shady, kind of, you know, looking around, probably breathing heavy and then, you know, kind of takes off again. And, and, you know, this guy, Johnny Brewer, who worked in the shoe store, he had heard about, the, you know, the assassination and, um, this cop that had been killed, you know, and, it, you know, it's just, it's, a suspicious activity. So he, uh, he called it in and said, you know, might be the guy you're looking for. And, you know, a hundred cops show up to arrest one guy. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's crazy.
1: It just happens to be the guy that they, so when was it put together technically on this timeline? When was it established that it had been Lee Har- Harvey Arswell that they were actually looking for that killed the president or did they already? I, did they already arrest him and they weren't sure or was or did they arrest him because of this?
4: He was arrested because Peter of the thing. tippet murder, Um the, the murder of the policeman. Oh, for he the wasn't. Policeman. Yeah, he wasn't officially charged with the murder of the president until I think it was almost midnight because they had the midnight press conference. And a reporter actually told him, you know, well, you have been charged with the murder of the president and you see his face kind of you know kind of like oh no you know kind of just you can see it in his face like he just he just can't believe it and then he's kind of let off um but he was initially arrested for the murder of of JD Tippett who was who was a police officer there in Dallas and you know that it was really quickly that he was it established that Um, This guy had worked in the building that the shots allegedly came from. So then they started putting two and two together and questioning him and and all these other people. And then they formally charged him that night.
1: All right. So, so, Rob, I'm just going to ask you, do you think he shot him? (laughs) I
4: I have a hard time with this one. I go back and forth. Um, You know, I'm I'm originally a more conspiracy theorist, I guess you would call me a uh, leaning kind of guy. Uh, I, I'm very distrustful of our government in general and, uh, you know, things of this nature, not just with this particular assassination. Um, cause as you see in the sixties, it kind of follows a pattern with RFK and MLK and Malcolm X and things like this. But, um, it's, I go back and forth. It's hard to say. You know, you think, you know, there's no way this guy could have been up there doing this. Why would he do it? He had a wife and kids. You know, what, you know, was he working for the CIA? Was he working for the FBI? Was he an informant? Was he, you know, what was he doing? It's it's very, very hard to put together and be a 100 percent sure about it. Um, you know, even if he did bring a gun to work that day, even if he was on the sixth floor, even if he was shooting, what, you know, maybe he was told to do that, but miss on purpose to kind of pin it on a Castro loving communist. Because in New Orleans, uh, the summer before, you know, the assassination, when, when Oswald was living in New Orleans, he had created this false identity, a guy by the name of AJ Hydell, Alec Heidel. Who was supposedly, you know, part of this Fair Play for Cuba committee? Um, it was the name that the guns were ordered under. Okay, Lee. Os- he didn't put Lee Oswald on the order slip for the gun. Uh, it was this other guy, A.J. Hydell, a fake name. Okay. Um, so he was kind of building, you know, with this fake name and and this Castro supporting kind of. Aura about this guy, you know, could it have been just a, you know, could somebody have told Oswald, look, we're going to create this this maniacal Castro-loving guy who's going to take a shot at Kennedy. Kennedy's going to be scared into taking action against Cuba and the Russians because they think that, you know, he's going to think that they tried to take him out. You know, so maybe maybe Oswald was up there. That was his impression that he was supposed to shoot and miss while somebody from the grassy knoll (laughs) uh, actually popped him. You know, was, then, then panic ahead. ensues, you know. <clears throat> was well, this it, person,
1: was, was, I'm sorry, was Lee, Lee Oswald, was he mentally fit? I mean, was he a crazy person? Did he have any, aside from just doing all this weird stuff of like going to Russia, coming back and all this stuff, did no. he have any sort of psychological problems that people are, cause maybe he was, I don't know, anybody look at his profile like I mean, that?
4: yeah I mean, they looked at it a lot for the Warren Commission. You know they tried to portray him as as you know somebody that grew up without a father. um His mother was very overbearing and and not not really too loving. I guess you would say she was always an opportunist um he He was in an orphanage for a while, you know, but all in all, people try to say you know he was just loner, he was this lone nut guy all by himself, but he always had friends he had friends growing up in New Orleans. You know, he had friends at school. He had friends in the Marine Corps. He had friends when he was in Russia. You know, the problem is when he comes back from Russia, you know, the friends kind of start going by the wayside. He starts hanging out with these weird people, these white Russians, like people like George Namor and Shield and, and the Paines. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I believe he probably befriended Buell Frazier Um you know, I I because I believe Fraser gave him a ride more often than just, you know, when he went to Irving. Um, so he, he you know he wasn't a real crazy person. I mean he had a wife and kids. He had a job. You know, he wasn't some schizophrenic, maniacal, you know, freakazoid. You you can go watch on YouTube an interview with him that he did in New Orleans. Uh, It's on television. Uh, He did it on the radio as well, where he's speaking very eloquently about, you know, Cuban politics and policy. Mm. Crazy people don't do that.
2: Yeah. another kind of interesting aside is this demoran shield uh that he befriended who was actually also a, a friend of poppy bush you know and uh and apparently at one time he wrote uh poppy a letter in saying you know something about how he kind of screwed up and uh you know said too much and he he, you know, he woke up dead you know he uh he'd apparently committed suicide with a shotgun and uh uh and up until that point he always hated guns so this is a story from the Russ Baker family of secrets i i believe is where i get that one but yeah he was kind of uh uh so yeah there are like i say there's always there's all of these things that just kind of don't add up more than pointing to the guy it's more like it does just seem like a a deep state type of uh thing that happened i, I, I was going to ask you about uh fletcher proudy you know he was uh, sent to the, the south pole or something like that and was laid over in new zealand and he gets picks up the newspaper and it already has a profile of uh of Oswald, uh, for the day and their newspaper, you know, they're in a time zone that's like six hours at five, six hours ahead of us. And so he's going, well, this, you know, you know, how in the heck would they have that story, you know, that fast? Well, they did have the wire back then. Um, you know, it wasn't like they had to mail it
4: to them or anything. Right. Uh, We weren't in the stone age quite yet back then. I mean, I look, Fletcher Proudy said a lot without really saying a lot you know he was very um, mysterious about what he says and um kind of always let it or left it up to you know whoever was asking him questions or interviewing him you know to kind of determine things he really didn't come out and say a whole lot um he was of course the basis for the character mr x in in the jfk movie Um, i was kind of a combination of a couple people mostly Fletcher, fletcher prouty um you know, he tried to put uh, this other general, Edward Lansdale, in in Dilly Plaza, you know, kind of walking past the tramps. He's captured in some of the photos down there, but we have no facial photograph of the man. It's just, well, that looks like his gait, and he has a ring on his finger, so it must be Ed Lansdale, which, of course, I can't put, you know, stock into unless we can prove that it was Ed Lansdale, not just uh, what well, kind of looks like him. Um well, you know, how- this guy who was in charge of like you know the Project Phoenix
2: in Vietnam. Um, well, how about the alleged Texas oil man that they're saying was probably George Bush that got arrested uh, in Dallas? <laughs> that Anything on that, or is that another? That's a that's another wild speculation.
4: Wild them? speculation. I got a photograph of a of an older gentleman actually getting arrested that, that nobody's really identified, and I probably is the oil man. Um, that they speak of. And th- th- there's another photo that people say is George Bush in Dealey Plaza, uh, kind of leaning up against the Texas School Book Depository. Um, and it was taken by uh, a photographer for, for one of the newspapers down there, and he took a lot of photos that day. And if you actually take the time to go and look at his entire photo set instead of just this one photo from a you know, one angle, you can clearly see that this guy is not George Bush. Um, <laughs> you know when you actually turn around and see his face instead of just his profile um so that's another kind of myth that's been put out there um
5: that well, has been kind of
2: self-feeding because bush is like the only one who was of age at that time that didn't know where they were when jfk got assassinated i don't
4: i don't remember i don't know where i was Right. But, you know, he was supposedly an oil man then. Uh, We have no proof at all. He was working for the CIA in 1963. There's no documentation whatsoever about that that we have seen yet. So
2: maybe that will come out in the release later this year. So
1: I'm going to totally change this up a little bit. Rob, Rob Clark, your life has been consumed by this whole event. I have a question. It sounds like you've been researching this a lot and you have pictures and you have documents. How are you backing all this stuff up? I mean you've got your house must or I don't I don't know, maybe it's not. I can just picture kind of like just piles of documents everywhere. How do you what? how do you store your stuff? How do you deal with all this information?
4: I have totes. That are just full of books. I probably have hundreds of books on the assassination that have been written that I've read. Mm-hmm. I've read a lot online. I've got most of my documents online, um, uh, you know, uploaded to like Dropbox, uh, various places, Drive, um, that I can access relatively quickly when needed. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of this stuff is, is stored on, you know, on, in Facebook groups and in, in the archives on there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you just run across this stuff and just kind of tuck it away. Um,
1: all right, good, because I, I just want you to be safe with this information because, God forbid, your life's work all of a sudden gets, you know, it's missing.
4: Yeah, I mean, I, I generally, you know, when I'm looking into something, I, I kind of start with clean slate and, and see what I can dig up, you know, and – uh and i might remember oh my god i think i might have a photo of this of this and you know i'll go dig in and, and find it or i think of a document that i saw and see if i can find it and pull it and uh you know kind of cross reference things it's not an exact science believe me right, it's, right. it's kind of more of a mess but okay.
1: and how many it, hours a day do you think you spend on this or is it like your brain always working on this
4: um it used to be and, in fact, I, I uploaded the very last episode of the Lone podcast this morning. <gasps> what do you mean um, the very last episode? I, I'm not going to be doing it anymore.
1: Oh, my gosh. Well, thank you for joining <laughs> us for this momentous occasion. Thank you. I had no idea.
4: Yeah. Um, yeah, I actually uh, did it why? this morning. Why? I'm um, just it's It's been a long three years of doing it and as as you guys well know all the uh fun stuff that goes into actually doing a show and and the logistics and the sound and the recording and you know this that and the other the production and and it's it's not as easy as pushing a button and and getting on here and talk you know talking for an hour or two um and you know well, yeah. I have a life outside of the j f k research community and it's just you know, every, every once in a while you look into something so hard for so long, you just need a break. And, uh, you know, I've taken a few breaks here and there and, you know, I've, I, I I've done 138 shows, um, for the Lone Gun Podcast and I've covered a lot of stuff. Um,
1: how can people, how can people get your uh, podcast? I want our listeners to be able to hear all the stuff that you've looked at. I want them to know what you've been working on.
4: Tell them. Yeah. Well, about. yeah I mean, you can find it on iTunes. It, it, it should be up for, I don't know how, however long that my archives are up, it's Spreaker. Um they should be up for, you know, at least a couple more years. Um and, it's, just uh,
1: called, it's just called Lone Gunman Podcast.
4: Yeah. I mean just Google Lone Gunman Podcast and it should pop up. It's on Google Feedburner, so it should be accessible through any podcasting app that you have on your phone or, or however you listen to shows. Um you know, it's on Stitcher, it's on TuneIn Radio, it's on iTunes, it's all over the place. Um so you just Google the Lim podcast and, and you'll find it. Wow.
1: Yeah, Somewhere. we will. I will. Okay, good. Now listen to me. Are you, when you take this break, right, and you're taking a break from this, will you come back when they, uh, have the Warren Commission papers, uh,
4: released or the, open the files? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm always going to be, yeah, I'm always okay, going to be, I, yeah, gonna be right. interested in the case. Um, you know, it's just this part of my life, you know, I think I've done enough. I mean, it'd be, it'd be one thing if, you know, it, it was more labor of love than anything. And it, it resulted just out of the fact and the necessity that I had all this stuff swimming around my head and nobody to talk to about it, at least yeah, in my real create, life.
1: Yeah. You had to create something,
4: you know, wow. so what better way to do it than, you know, make my own platform. And get some of this stuff off my chest and out of my head, and discuss it with people, and see what they got going on, and you know, just open this whole thing up.
1: Yeah, it's very. It's almost like a creative, a creative process. Like when people say, like, I had to paint this picture, or I had to write this song. You had this thing that you had this JFK assassination thing. It 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 affected you to such an extent that you had to create something, and it, it enriched your life, I would imagine, to a certain extent.
4: Oh, for sure. I've made so many friends. Yeah. And I've met so many interesting people from doing the show and it's afforded me, you know, the possibilities of, you know, going to conferences and meeting people that I never would have met before in my life. Um, it's been a totally great experience. Yeah. Look,
1: I'm smiling. (laughs) I wish you could see me. I'm smiling. I'm happy for you. This is awesome. And thank you so much for joining us, Rob. This is great. Now, and you don't have any other things that you wanted to, you know, a book or nothing. You just was right on this podcast. That was your thing.
4: Yeah, that was it. I mean, That's cool. you know, I could, have, I could have sat here and wrote a book, but then, you know, that takes I mean, too long. I'd much rather talk.
1: All <laughs> right, on. Thank you for All right. being here. thanks,
4: with
1: us. Rob. Thank you guys. Thank you. And see you next week. We'll be with Susan Lindauer. <laughs>
5: she shot it Citizen with Rachel L. McIntosh and Rob O'Sell. News
3: and information you can trust. This is American Freedom Radio. Freedom. Freedom. American. Freedom Radio. Radio.
5: American Freedom Radio
3: nutritious food is real body armor it builds muscle burns fat improves digestion and feeds the entire body the nutrients it needs did you know the u.s government banned the hemp plant from growing in the united states and classified it as a schedule one drug to hide it behind the marijuana plant people have been confused about this plant for over 80 years and many still don't know what hemp is so now you know hemp is not marijuana and marijuana is not hemp they are different varieties of the same species hemp US HempUSA.org wants the world to know these basic facts and to help people understand that hemp protein powder is the best-kept health secret you need to know about. Remember, hemp protein powder contains 53% protein, is gluten-free, anti-inflammatory, non-GMO, and is loaded with nutrients. Call 888-910-4367, 888-910-4367, and see what our powder, seeds, and oil can do for you only at HempUSA.org.
0: We
7: all know that they're not telling us the truth. So stand up for your rights, demand the real medicine, and your right to use it and grow it. This is Rick Sensen, and you're listening to American Freedom Radio.
6: Quality, value, style, service, selection, convenience, economy, savings, performance, experience, hospitality, low rates, friendly service, name brands, easy terms, affordable prices, money back guarantee, free installation. Free admission, free appraisal, free alterations, free delivery, free estimates, free home trial and free parking. No cash, no problem, no kidding. No fuss, no must, no risk, no obligation, no red tape, no down payment, no entry fee, no hidden charges, no purchase necessary. No one will call on you. No payments or interest. September but limited time only though so act now order today send no money offer good while supplies last two to a customer each item sold separately batteries not included mileage may vary all sales are final allow six weeks for delivery some items not available some assembly required some restrictions may apply so come on in come on in come on in thank you So come on in. Come on in for a free demonstration and a free consultation with our friendly professional staff. Our experienced and knowledgeable sales representatives will help you make a selection that's just right for you and just right for your budget. And say, don't forget to pick up your free gift, a classic deluxe custom designer luxury prestige high quality premium select gourmet pocket pencil sharpener. (laughs) Yours for the asking, no purchase necessary. It's our way of saying thank you. And if you act now, we'll include an extra added free complimentary bonus gift, a classic deluxe custom designer luxury prestige high quality premium select gourmet combination key ring magnifying glass and garden hose in a genuine imitation leather style carrying case with authentic vinyl trim. Yours for the asking, no purchase necessary. It's our way of saying thank you. Actually, it's our way of saying bend over just a little bit farther.
0: You're listening to AmericanFreedomRadio.com, the network who perseveres in delivering intelligent debate, constructive dialogue with true independence. The freedom to broadcast the truth is not free at all. So what is American Freedom Radio worth to you? The empowering information with fun, honest and pure integrity behind it provides an example to follow. Friendships to flourish with the moral altruism that pulls no punches. The hosts sacrifice and show remarkable discipline in their duty to deliver quality radio and service to the community with strength, wisdom, and loyalty. The founders of AFR wish to thank you personally for sharing your views and insights to make the best radio and alternative media. Now it's time for you to give something back and play a vital role in the future of America. Be as generous with us as we've been with you. Click on the donate banner at AmericanFreedomRadio.com or volunteer by emailing AmericanFreedomRadio at Ymail.com. Vaccine, psychotropic drugs, and artillery batteries not included. No rules. No rules. No taboo topics. No taboo topics.
3: No fear of doom. No fear of doom. We are are American Freedom
5: Radio. American Freedom Radio. (laughs)